Hey there. If you've been enjoying the Unchained Binge podcast, you should know that this podcast, like everything else we do here at the Escape Collective, is member-funded. That means we're funded by, well, you, if you're already a member. And if you're not, we hope you'll think about becoming one. You can head on over to escapecollective.com join to sign up and become part of a pretty awesome community. It's a community that supports this podcast and the others on the Escape Collective podcast network, as well as everything that we write about bikes and more over on the escapecollective.com website. It's also a community with a very active Discord channel where we sometimes do live recordings of podcasts, by the way. In other words, there are lots of reasons to sign up. Our monthly memberships start at $11.99 USD, or you can save 30% by signing up annually. We'd love to have you as a member. And again, you can head over to escapecollective.com join to find out more and sign up. This is the Unchained Binge Podcast. I'm Kaylee Fretz, and we're going to go deep on Netflix's new Tour de France docuseries in this podcast. In today's episode, first episode, we have a tear-jerking win from a farmer's son, a bit of image polishing for two of the more controversial managers in the sport, a redemptive comeback win, and yes, some manufactured drama on a bridge. Let's get into it. Joining me today, we've got, well, we've got a, a, a rock star, frankly, rock star for group of reporters with the Escape Collective. I'm going to start off with Kit Nicholson. Kit, you are you're kind of our movie buff, TV buff. Uh, brought you in because, well, this is a TV show, and we want your insight into how such things are made. Uh, yeah, well, I hope I can bring some insight for that then. <laughs> bit of pressure. A little bit of pressure. Also joining, Johnny Long. How are you, Johnny? Good. Thanks, Kaylee. And Abby Mickey. Welcome, Abby. Hello. Let's kick off with, with first impressions. So we've just watched the first episode of Unchained. And just to be clear, I can with the audience out there, the way that we're picturing this happening is basically you watch an episode, you listen to a podcast. You watch an episode, you listen to a podcast. You don't have to do it that way, but that's kind of the way that we're producing these things. We watch an episode, we're going to go deep on episode one. So... At the end of episode one, or let's say even halfway through episode one, what were you all feeling about this this highly touted docuseries? I mean, the, the, the context here is that we've kind of been promised, based off of the premise of, of Drive to Survive and Formula One and the massive growth over there, we've been kind of promised the same thing. That this would pull in a whole new audience to professional cycling, that we'd have all these new fans that we could talk to. Do you think that this is going to after only one episode you think we're there what were your first impressions it was very much for for non-fans i felt the first episode um but also i i mean i guess my my major takeaway from the first episode was they showed a lot of crashes and i didn't love that um but it's also if you kind of remove yourself from being you know a fan of the sport for many many years if you're brand new to the sport, crashes are such a huge part. And so while I didn't like to see them, especially Jakobsen's crash, like over and over and over and over, it was definitely, um, yeah, it was unpleasant, but I think it was, it was 
needed to kind of set the stage and the, and the stakes. Um, so my first impression was I never want to see that crash from Jakobsen ever again. I fear that I will see it many more times in my life. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Yeah, I think unfortunately, um, because we obviously watch a lot of cycling, we're, we're used to the crashes in terms of we don't need to see them and pour over them. But if you're just getting introduced to the sport, it sort of lets you know where the stakes are at and it sort of lets it gives you an understanding of what the riders go through and you know, what what it means to like go into a corner or come out of a corner at whatever kilometers an hour, you know, I think that really, really helps to explain what bike racing is. Yeah, there was heavy use of onboard cameras in, in episode one. And I think that that was actually quite effective. I think that unless you've ever been in a Peloton, there's no real way of understanding how chaotic and dangerous that can feel from just like a helicopter shot, which is generally, you know, the big sort of wide Vista helicopter shot is generally what we get during the Tour de France. I thought those were very effective shots at, 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 like you say, Johnny, kind of like setting the stakes and, and determining and helping people determine like what could go wrong when things do go wrong. Yeah, that was my, probably one of my major, I don't know, impressions of the first episode was it was quite fast paced um, from the beginning, from the very start, um, even in the quick fire language that was used and, uh, yeah, I, and then of course we transition into a sprint masterclass or a sprint tutorial, um, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, so yeah, I think, well, there's also a a, a, um, a mirror to be found in Drive to Survive, first episode of which does also feature a lot of crashes. Um, mm. And I did my homework and watched some last night. So yeah, it's <laughs> it's uh, seems to be a theme that they like these producers, a bit of crashing. What I feel could have been really useful was like a 30 second like explainer with like loads of graphics on exactly how bike racing and the, and the Tour de France works. Like I, I kind of vaguely remember that in Drive to Survive at some point, but just explaining like, okay, this is how you win the Tour de France and like the real basic stuff that if it's only 30 seconds and if you've ever watched the race before, then it's fine. You can sit through that. But the explanations of how everything worked and with the teams and the domestics working for the leaders was sort of communicated to the audience via, unless you spoke French, via the sub subtitles of a French speaker, which I feel, unless you're really paying attention, if you miss that, then it's just gone. And maybe then you're guessing how it all works for the rest of the episode. Yeah, it was heavily French, French influenced. And we kind of knew that that was going to be the case. We'd heard that, in fact, that ASO, the owner of the Tour de France, had, had kind of not demanded, but requested <laughs> that there was quite a bit of French influence. And you know, we spent a bunch of time, we don't want to spend too much time on this right now, but we spent a bunch of time prior to this coming out, wondering who was going to be the Will Buxton person in, in this series, right? Will Buxton in the in Drive to Survive, he's the one that's like, he says things like, to win, you must be the first car across the finish line, like things like that. And, but, but you know, so, like, like very basic, basic, basic take explanations. Take it day by of, day. Uh, yeah, I can take it day by day. <laughs> who was going to be that person for this series and and we all thought it would be Orla Chenoui and she, she does feature uh but Steve Chanel uh who is on French Eurosport and does quite a bit of French commentary and is a former professional um but is speaking French he's the one that ends up doing more of that explanation I do I do wonder whether that would have been a helpful thing Johnny I, I also wonder whether they're going to pepper that in throughout subsequent 
episodes because what it felt like to me, what this entire episode felt like to me was like they were absolutely terrified of a slow moment dropping people, right? Like that, that the every single second of it, it, it felt like a 40 minute trailer to me. Like it would slow down in a couple very key places, but they were very emotional moments. They weren't like, like you're not going to turn it off in the slow-mo bits where Eve Lampert is like finding out that he just won the yellow jersey, right? You're not going to lose people there. But that's the only time it slowed down, kind of the, kind of for most of the episode. Um, I have a counterpoint to that, Kelly, in that I think because of it being so high-paced, and you get this quite often in film reviews, if a film, particularly it seems in uh, superhero movies or even musical movie musicals, um, you get a kind of monorail emotion all the way through. There's no fluctuation at all. And I found that to be the case, as you've said, for much of the episode. But then one of my favourite moments, for a couple of reasons, was when we saw Fabio Jacobson cleaning his bike, which was both both a humanising moment and a slowdown, and there was I don't think there was any soundtrack, um, and it was just before we then started to build again towards the climax. And that was a very crafty, you know, that was somebody, some the producers or the, the directors had worked through the episode and gone, we need to be able to ramp everybody back up um, for the finale when Jacobson wins the stage. And that was in that moment when he's cleaning his bike. And it also serves to make him human. And it's not, you know, we haven't seen a mechanics truck yet. Well, except for with hugs, you know, we haven't seen that sort of side of it, which I expect, well, I hope we'll see. But yeah, that that, that moment I felt was an important part in the arc of the episode. And it was slow. Do you, do you think the mechanic who cleans Fabio Jacobson's bike 200 days out of 365 <laughs> days a year is sitting there like... God damn it! Like that was my that was my one moment. But not not. I think it's important to not just keep on comparing to Drive to Survive. But when that bike washing moment happened, my first thought was, you did not see any of the Formula One drivers at any point like cleaning their cars. <laughs> and it sort of serves that was. A, I think that was a a great way to display like the differences with cycling with with other professional sports um a fun fact for you as well the first day by day of the episode of the series was nine minutes 49 seconds in <laughs> so it must have been a contractual obligation to get that common like the most common phrase that bike racers say within the 10 minute mark i started keeping a tally i thought there was gonna be another one i've got a little note at the bottom of my my page uh, with a little strike but i think it was the only one in that episode i think so yeah Sadly, I'll keep it going. If it was women cycling, we'd have at least 10 from strength to strengths in the first episode. <laughs> the, um, the, other, the other one, which we had to wait until the end of the episode, but I'll just jump forward since we're talking about uh, the, what's the word for them again? The, like the, when you say, when, when phrases like. said too much, like. Uh, cliche. 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 Thank you, Kit. Jeez. Um, was we had to wait to the end of the episode for, you don't win the tour here, but you can certainly lose it. Yeah. But that's oh, actually yeah. a coming next. Portion. Oh yeah, it was. That's because we're about to get one of the one of the coming episodes is going to be on the stage four, Roubaix cobbles. Oh yeah, uh, but we, we, we at least got it, and we got to see. But we it did get it in the, in we the got it in the first episode. So this first episode, I mean, you've all you, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you've seen it. But it, you know, it, it focuses on these early sprint stages and also the opening time trial, and so kind of our two storylines are with at the time was Dakota Quickstep and its manager Patrick Lefevre. Uh, very old school Belgian guy. Uh, and then on the other side of the coin, we have 
EF Education e Easy Post and their run at the opening time trial with Stefan Bissiger, right, who is a Swiss time trial specialist. And they went into that opening time trial thinking that it was their their number one opportunity for a stage win of the entire race. And that drama felt a little bit manufactured to me uh, in that, you know, there's 20 stages after that and they have a, a pretty decent bike racing team. But they certainly, they sort of played that up and they did that most, mostly with that team's manager, Jonathan Vodders. Now, anybody sort of deep inside cycling is going to know those two names really, really well. If you are not deep inside cycling, you maybe don't. I thought it was interesting that they they provided a, a bit of a spit polish for, for the reputation of both of those managers, right? They kind of allowed them to speak in their own, on their own terms, in their own words. And in fact, even allowed Jonathan Botters to take a bit of an elbow at his <laughs> lifelong enemy, Lance Nemesis. Armstrong. Nemesis. <laughs> uh, Lance Armstrong. So you've got that side with JV, and then you've also got uh, on the Patrick Lefebvre side... You know, Lefevre has said some misogynistic things in the past. That's an understatement. Uh, he said some things in the past that would uh, that have led to people classifying him as a bit of a dinosaur. And that was kind of just papered over, and he was painted as this, uh, you know, kind of genius manager that was able to turn riders into into stage winners. And frankly, like Eve Lampart winning that opening time trial was shocking for sure. But that that to me was one of the big kind of highlights of this first episode was those two men those two managers kind of getting a bit of a a bit of an easy pass and a, and a bit of a they were allowed to like i said like kind of tell their own stories there i feel like the steven the steven bissiger part was actually one of my favorite parts of the first episode and i don't i disagree kaylee i don't think it was manufactured at all because you win the first stage you get the first yellow jersey and that would have been EF's only chance at a yellow jersey in the race. I was kind of talking so about like the, the the bit with JV in a boardroom saying that like if we don't win a stage, all the sponsors oh, yeah, are going to go was away. Weird. Yeah, that was we're weird. fired. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that was that was kind of weird. But I feel like the part where they showed you know him in the wind tunnel and they had Charlie oh, yeah. Wigelius, the team DS, kind of talking about when I saw him take the first corner, I knew um, all of that stuff. I feel like he was going to crash. Was, I knew he was going to crash. I, it was one of my favorite parts of the first episode because it showed that there are a lot of riders in the Peloton that deserve to win a stage of a Grand Tour like the Tour de France. But just because you deserve it doesn't mean that you're going to get that win. And Bessinger wouldn't have been the only rider in the Peloton to put in that much work before the first TT just to lose it. I know Mess Peterson from Trek Segafredo also spent a ton of time in the wind tunnel, spent a ton of time on his CT bike, was just like totally set on winning that first time trial and didn't win it. And so I feel like seeing that part of the, that side of the sport and that side of the Tour de France in the very first episode was pretty powerful. Um, and, and I think like it was really interesting not only seeing the two two managers, but also seeing the way that they think, the way that they approach their teams. It was obviously a huge difference between the two. I will say, like, as someone who despises Patrick Lefavre, I'm not afraid <laughs> to say it. Um, I was really disappointed to see him get, like, a, a redemption edit. Uh, I was hoping to see him get the Christian Horner edit, because I know nothing about F1, but I know that I 
there are a few people in sport I hate more than Christian Horner. And, uh, <laughs> and I was, and I was really disappointed that, that Patty left. He didn't get that, that villain edit. I think that the decision to, yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with everything about Bissiger being a, um, being a really good focus, partly to offset the, um, the quick step story. Um, and very, I mean, it's quite convenient, I think. I, I don't think it's particularly important, but it's convenient that they painted quick step. I think they might even have said the best team, or did they say the most win, the most winning yeah. <laughs> team? But they also referred to Yumbo Visma as the best team. Anyway, um, so they're more or less the same thing, but um, I don't know, pick bones out of that. Um, but yes, yeah, so you had the, the most winning team versus the... Uh, least the, the lowest on the standings the world tour standings um that and that was the first mention of relegation and points um then skated over and not explained but still it, you had that <laughs> offset between ef and their desperation to get a win and quickstep being the ones who've got 47 wins at the tour already and um you know they're going to get another one it's just a matter of when um but it also had the context of crashing um with bisiga crashing twice in his it was it was you know it's a classic sort of finding a pattern retrospectively and it working perfectly and it really did for this episode um it the shame that or that it's a little sad maybe that ef kind of comes off as a failure because of the the drama that you've mentioned kaylee in the sense that this is their one chance and they're all out of a job if they don't win the first stage um, because we know that you know, spoiler alert, if you didn't watch the 2022 Tour de France, they win a stage um, in about a week's time. Um, so we know that there's a very good chance we're going to see that. Um, but after that grand apart, that they had a bloody good grand apart, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Um, they just didn't win a stage. And it just kind of, they get painted as the failures opposite these massive winners in Quickstep. I don't know how to deal with spoilers on this on this podcast because like no I think like, uh, spoilers don't there's no such thing I, see, I yeah. mean the race yeah. happened a, a year ago yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly no, there's I, no yeah. such thing as spoilers within the race but there's spoilers within the show yeah okay. I haven't watched yeah. past I haven't yeah like we so won't that, yeah we won't spoil the show but we no. might spoil the race results which happened a year ago <laughs> yeah so. it's on right. you it's on you if you didn't see the race <laughs> Um, I thought like with, with the, the contrast between EF and, and, um, quick step, the, and also like with the crashes, the crash reels and everything with, I think it was also building up to the over dramatized moment of the episode, which was Eve Lampard's crash on the bridge, which, mm. um, they made a huge deal out of, but actually like he got back into the Peloton with everyone else who crashed like a K later on the bridge still. <laughs> So it was like not a big deal at yeah, all. Yeah, and then let out the stage <laughs> um, winner. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like part of the part of the crashing was also to try to make that moment more dramatic. Um, which for anyone who who watched the race, they were like, "Wait, didn't he? He even if you didn't watch the race and you're watching him chase back on, they get back on before the bridge ends. So you're like, <laughs> which is which is still like a couple a couple kilometers away from the finish, like a, a significant distance away from from the finish." Yeah, I mean that 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 bit certainly felt a bit manufactured. But if you will recall, like part of the reason I'm almost willing to give that a pass is we were all sitting there, kind of hoping for the bridge to be a huge deal. I mean, remember this? It was in the lead up to the race last year. This I, I don't know how many stories we wrote about it. Everyone else is writing stories about it. It's a it's a big bridge with crosswinds. Crosswinds break up the peloton. 
that brings chaos that brings crashes like the whole kind of cycling world was kind of hoping for this to be a big deal <laughs> and then Nef- it ended up not being a big deal and then netflix just made it a big deal anyway because the like, peloton keeps moving it never yeah. stops and if you're not in it you're dead or something like that yeah, yeah. that's the moment uh, yeah. quote. <laughs> if you're if you're not in the peloton if you're in the peloton you're alive if you're not in the peloton you risk death you are facing <laughs> death and it that's New viewers, that's all you need to know about to know what Mark Madio is like, the boss of the <laughs> the biggest French team. Superb. Returning really briefly to uh, to our managers here, so the 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 Jonathan Vodder's Lance Armstrong bit was interesting to me. Lance Armstrong is a former world champion on that team, so he was a big deal. That's me with Lance. This is where my doping is at its absolute peak. All I was worried about was getting caught for doping the next day, and I couldn't sleep. And and like with Lance, I don't think any of that was true. I think he slept like a baby. The fact that they left it in there was interesting to me. The fact that he got to sort of like throw an elbow, <laughs> essentially with no response, was interesting to me. What, what did you guys? It was not that long, but it was relevant in that it almost felt like Lance had to be mentioned somewhere in the first episode. Right. And then they got that kind of out of the way. It, it was more that um, I think because we've been building up to this for ages and waiting for it and like wondering how it's going to be angled and focused that when that happened, I was thinking, oh, is this going to be like a bit juicier and spicier than we thought? Because the immediate thought with one of these sports documentaries where they've had to get everyone on side is that inevitably it's going to be a softer version of the, the true reality of professional sport. So when, when I saw that, I was like, maybe we're going to actually get some like some huge quotes and huge insight. But then when you saw sort of, um, you know, Patrick Lefebvre getting a, a, a free pass for a lifetime of quotes that age like milk. And then even like the inclusion <laughs> of the, the the fake Jonathan Vorter's text that popped up on the fake phone. Like, you know that, you know that, is it, I can't remember which art it is, but that music video where the person's text on their phone, but it's in an Excel spreadsheet. It was basically the oh, remake yeah. of that but in the Netflix. Yeah. And I was just like, why have they put that in? Um, it's like my personal bugbear in TV and film when somebody gets a text from their mum and it's the first text from that person they've ever received. Yeah, mm. exactly. But um, <laughs> it was, I think, I, I, I mean, we'll have to see how the rest of the series goes, but I, if there's like, you, you only need to sprinkle a few of those like Vortas, Lance things in there and you don't have to go that deep into it, but just to give the viewer enough to like sit like sit there on the phone and then like search on wikipedia more about it because that's kind of what this is all for is to introduce the fans in but you just need a bit like with patrick lefevre i mean it's because they had to get the teams to agree to be on the show so you're never going to be yeah. hey hey patrick um would love to feature your team and do loads of great activation for your sponsors but also can we talk about how you know you say sexist stuff sometimes it's not gonna it's not gonna happen unfortunately how you liked a whole bunch of porn videos recently on twitter and we can all see it Exactly. For example, oh yeah. Uh, the Vodder's Lance bit for me felt like it might have a, a bit of an ulterior motive in that it got doping discussion out of the way for the entire series. Ah, uh, yeah. That was my thought right? as well. So, like, basically, they acknowledge they acknowledge cycling's history and past in the span of about ten seconds, and then they allow Vodders to basically shove it aside and say, "We built this new." fresh clean team and now the whole sport is better and it's all the rest and they, and they don't that it's it's not really satisfying <laughs> in terms of historical accuracy for example uh but 
it does allow the show to move on and potentially not have sort of like, well, wasn't this sport like crazy full of doping forever? And people just sort of wondering that question and maybe kind of answers that for them and they can just they can just move on with the show. Just a random fact about Netflix in the build up to this. They I've just seen earlier today, they've now got the rights to the program, which is coming next week. So that film that they made, the the um, well, I suppose docudrama. It's not quite, but it was. It, so it's the the movie about um, Armstrong, um, and the famous line, particularly, I've never tested positive performance enhancing drugs. The one starring Ben Foster and Chris O'Dowd, and oh um, uh, yeah. So I wonder if Netflix, you know, they, I don't know. It, it's a bit much to suggest that they have only put a small amount in, to. Um, to facilitate people watching that but i'm sure that when the program lands next week it will be in the watch now or it will be the auto watch next so they get something else that people can you know bounce off from the uh okay oh, is this is this a french netflix production or like netflix it's as a, a whole mix. because yeah well just... so it, it's netflix netflix but like one of the production houses is french the other one was i think british, british. yeah um depending on the team that they were following uh, but mm. the the people behind it, it is like the same sort of executive producers and things as uh, as Drive to Survive. So it's not overly French, but they they had to, and and um, sort of the the production behind it. Netflix has said numerous times that sort of the the politics involved in getting this series together was significantly more difficult than it was with F one. Because in F1, particularly back then, you just like went to Bernie Eccleston and were like, hey, can we do a thing in your thing? And he's like, cool, thumbs up. And that's basically everyone has to listen to him. There's no equivalent in cycling. So they had to go to every single team. They had to go to ASO, the tour organizer. They had to go to France Television to get all the TV rights. Like they had to do all these. It was a much bigger, broader process than than Drive to Survive was. Just to go back uh, very quickly to the, the, the papering over of cycling's past and whatever it, the quote from Vortas was that the, his team had changed the landscape of the sport and it's like while they are doing things differently and they've been great innovators for you know a very traditional sport it's not it's not uh, what's it called um it's not that's not how all the teams operate it's not you still have like very French teams and you have teams where like very French teams that aren't like wearing crocs and tie-dye and then you also have teams that aren't signed up to like the movement for credible cycling where certain they have different levels for what they consider uh oh god i need to say this right um performance enhancing but legal products i think is the way to say it so there are there are different levels of teams who sign up to that and don't and so i can't like you can't just say like we've changed like the landscape is a big thing a big thing i think his argument would be sort of back in the early days of that team they he he will argue and i've he's argued this to me before that they 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 instigated a cultural shift more than anything and as he says in the show like we made this cool right made anti-doping uh, cool yeah we made anti-doping cool and that might be a bit of a stretch but i do there was a cultural shift happening around that time it's around when the biopassport came in etc cetera, etc cetera. uh but yeah, that would be his. That that was that's his argument expanded upon. I, I think it was just it was shrunken so far for this for the purposes of this show. Uh, I think the real point is just that 
they managed to get doping out of the way in like 15 seconds and <laughs> frankly that's that's impressive like they they and then we and then they just moved on with the show right and i don't know if it will come back or not and i kind of doubt it because why other than we're gonna find out later later whether johnny makes an appearance oh yeah angering angering wout van Aert asking about <laughs> asking about doping if i had to, the, if I had to at, guess at right the, now no i'm gonna say no but you never know we'll get into that later although if we want to use this as a segue for one of my geeky moments oh yeah yes um something in episode one that i was focusing on partly because my brother's a composer is the music and i would Mm -hmm. like i would describe it as faintly well early Hans zimmer-esque in places um on the bridge for sure i was obviously a very key moment for um dramatizing what was happening but also the first time that Wout van Aert appears when he's being described as the nemesis of the of Jakobsen, he steps out of a bus and there's this kind of this moody theme and he's in super slow-mo and it's this kind of bad guy theme, which comes up again um, with slightly less emphasis, but we'll get there. I can't say yet because we haven't watched that episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, the, so that, uh, that entrance of, of van Aert and when it, it, I think it, well, they, we had had slow motion already, but we went into super slow-mo. This guy is not to be messed with. And there was this kind of, you know, almost dark night, low blow. Yeah, it was, there was something, there was a mood being created. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, which is funny. For, I mean, Mount Van Aert and his big grin when he brings it out is, it just, I can't really see him as a bad guy very easily, but they do a pretty good job in this episode. I think with JV, it's also worth mentioning, like, he knows exactly what he's doing. Oh, yeah. Um, like, the the series dropped and he, um, the NEF immediately released, like, a line of fan clothing. <laughs> like, he, yeah. he knows what he's doing. His team almost folded in 2017. And he called on fans to fan to crowdsource the team. Um, allegedly, it would have failed without the fan support, and then they found a title sponsor. So he like totally knows what he's doing in this whole this whole thing. He's gonna play into this way more than other other managers. Like he's gonna know exactly what this can get him more than Patrick Lefavre could at whatever fathom. Well, did you notice they both, when they sat down to do their like floating heads interview, they both did the like the clapper, like the movie clapper thing, which is what the team principals do in in Drive to Survive. So they both clearly watched it and been like, do I want to be more Christian Horner or Toto Wolf? And they're sort of both there like, we're the next big, you know, we're the next big thing. We're getting invited to X, Y, Z. And also like when they were at the race, like, Vodder's in his pink suit and yeah. like Patrick Lefavre in his like t-shirt looking like pretty grimy in the bus. And <laughs> oh, and the hat. <laughs> it it's lame. the hat. Yeah. It's the I'm on holiday hat, which is yeah. great. Oh yeah, his little like fedora thing. Mm. Um, the the music was amazing though. Like I, I think was that, like yeah, I, I, I think they did a really good job of the music and I'm excited to see what tone of music they assign to other teams that they have because obviously they started the series with only two teams in this episode and like a brief wow moment but there we know from the press release about the show that there's more teams that are going to enter later on and also from like the teasers and stuff so i i'm really curious like what kind of insanely french frenchified french music we're gonna get for ben (laughs) o'connor oh bless him (laughs) 
Poor guy. <laughs> I, I, I do think a lot of the, some of the shots were amazing. And also when you've, when you've like already watched the actual Tour de France and you've, you've been across it all on social media, it's rare to see new things. But I think that's the thing that was most interesting is you saw some really amazing artistic shots, but then also just like ones off the beaten path. And not only the inside ones, like inside the bus, which are always cool to see, but just like little bits at the side of the road or... Just things that, I don't know, was, I can't remember a specific one, but just more the little moments that get lost in watching live coverage of a bike race. Well, it's like when you see, it reminded me of um, the Gruber's shots, when, you, when they, yeah. they'd be taking corners through Denmark and you'd have some family's picnic table in the foreground and the race going past in the background. Do you think that it's just because there's a limited time and they've got to focus on the race that they that like this series didn't make enough, or this this episode didn't make enough of... Denmark and we've seen that the next episode goes to the cobbles so are we going to get any Denmark stuff I, I we're not going to come back to Denmark I'm, I'm confident of that and I think that plays into the what we've mentioned already about not explaining everything fully for the non-fans because they never explained why the grand I mean there was so there was the word international but I think Christophe Prudhomme said um, he, he called it you know a, a race of, of French importance but also international um, so you, that's but that's the only real mention you get of hang on but they're in Denmark <laughs> and then of course you get the yellow and green jersey the yellow jersey explained but the green jersey isn't and the yellow jersey and the green jersey change hands inexplicably yeah um, yep. and then well, I mean the reason suddenly. that we don't get stage three is because Jaco Alula and Grunewagen aren't in this series but yeah. it's not explained why that's not featured and it, it, I mean I understand why that we didn't go back to um, Magnus Court solo breakaway and and party through Denmark on stage three because to do that after Jakobsen's stage win would have been a bit of a mute yeah. well the way that they played it would have been a fairly mute ending to the episode although I kept yeah. waiting mm-hmm. for it because I thought that was one of the most brilliant parts of that grander part but yeah I feel like Denmark got the, the Tom Bombadil treatment like it would have <laughs> been too con- <laughs> it would have been too con- that is su- that's a niche reference and yeah, so we'll come that? back to I, niche I'm- references <laughs> Um, I, he got I the Tom Bombadil it's... treatment because had had they thrown the fact that the first three stages were in Denmark into the show, it would have been too confusing with the hype of how important this is this race is to France. So like Tom Bombadil gets the ring and like it doesn't affect him at all. The race starts in Denmark, but they're trying to be like French expects a victory, so it's not. It would have been too confusing. Yeah, you just start complicating the narrative. I mean, it was a very simple narrative around two teams and just a very select number of riders and to add yeah. much else to that would have been i suppose confusing. one mention one time we might get back to denmark is at the very 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 end when a dane wins yeah. but i yeah. but still you might have well i would expect there to be some sort of trickling in we got morkov being really uh really celebrated um at the team presentation but that was I mean, if you didn't know, well, I, I imagine that could have been fairly well skated over because we know that Morkov is Danish. And if you are focusing, you can see his Danish bands from when he was national champion. But that's the only real kind of celebrating a Danish rider that you get. And we haven't heard that Vingigo is Danish and that it started in Denmark. Um, that hasn't co- uh, propped up yet. So we might come back, but it would be a bit weird to bring it back now. Especially when he was so emotional on the the podium like that was such a like a big moment I feel of the grander part is when he got up there and was just so overcome with the crowds and and it was also such a good grander part like sometimes they can be a bit so-so but that the 
the Copenhagen one was amazing. I think they're being very careful with the number of characters that they introduce in a given episode. Yeah. And I, I, it, keeping in mind that trying to keep track of all these skinny white boys would probably get a bit tricky at some point. Yeah. Is like we, it's a full time job. We didn't even. Yeah, it's, it's our full time job, and, and we still struggle. So, I think that I mean we we haven't seen much of of Jonas Vingegaard at all, right? We we we've seen him sort of like flit in and out, uh, but his position as really a marquee is not entirely clear at the end of this first episode. We're going to take a brief break here. So what was missing? What was kind of key in the moment, you know, with us covering the actual bike race that just either didn't show up or showed up in a very small way? What was missing? I'd like to come at this by saying what was additional that had no real bearing on the race in a way in that the big debate early in the quick step storyline was that was between Jakobsen and Alaphilippe, which doesn't sound like a decision that you have to make, really, because they're not the same rider. Um, and Alaphilippe, uh, th- yeah, he he doesn't he comes across as a bit of a child in in the episode, but at the same time, really ready to go. Um, you know, he has that comment: "Is it is it just this descent, and then we're back at the apartment?" Is that, no, we've got another climb to go. Oh, just another climb then, or something like that. But still, I you know, we all wanted Alaphilippe to be there, I think. But but the big point though is that there was absolutely no mention of cav at all and it took until what just a few days before the tour de france uh, before we knew that cav four-time stage winner the year before and you know record equaling uh of all time he wasn't didn't feature in even one breath i feel like that's when the frenchness comes in because the french who are watching this in france who are not um Actually, I saw on Twitter, it was JV who said you should watch it with subtitles and not with the English dub over because it's like, oh, for I found sure. that super frustrating the whole episode. It was terrible. Um, but the, the Frenchness comes in because it's all of Philippe. Like he's like the French baby. He's the world champion. He's huge in France. And like to mention Cav was very much like a cycling fan would have appreciated that more. But the French want Alaphilippe in there in some form and the only way to mention him was in the very first episode in the very first like 10 minutes and yeah and so like for us the huge drama leading up to the race was are they going to bring Cav and that was that was a conversation that we were having from like I don't know August 2021 (laughs) was like (laughs) are they going to bring Cav to the tour next year to try to get that final win and beat the the record and have the most tour wins of all time and for us that was massive but for the french fans they they don't care did did you notice though i remember this at the time and then you can actually see it in the episode is when the quick step team are on having the team presentation there is loads of footage and photos of cav in the green jersey behind them and so i mean that's they must have just made it they have to make those things so far in advance so they just gambled and were like yeah green jersey whatever but they could have done that with Philippe, right they could have still chosen that from the year before and he was still in the world champions jersey then yeah um but they went with the whole the cav thing so it was that was weird as well that 
it was more you could feel it more at the race when that was the big story leading up to it and then they had this whole thing about Cav and then introduced a team without Cav so it it would have made sense to at least mention that a bit but it comes back to the sort of control of the narrative thing right I wonder if there's something in the fact that Cav has his own documentary coming up Uh, there might have been some sort of contract arrangement yeah maybe um, some sort of debate over ownership of certain Mm. images um, yeah. Who knows? We won't be able to answer that until we see that series or film or whatever it's going to be. Um, I think that's this summer. I don't know. Yeah, mid August. They'll you bring it had... out. They'll bring it out when Jakobsen wins the stage, and they'll try and kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could have had just Patrick Lefevre like drawing a picture of Cavendish on like a napkin and then like creasing it to make him talk or something. If they couldn't have had any of the rights, you know, just gone really, <laughs> just showcased another one of Patrick's many talents. <laughs> <laughs> what else is missing beyond beyond sort of the, the Cavs storyline that we all followed so closely and then just didn't show up at all? What else was, uh, yeah, what else is missing? We've already mentioned Court, haven't we? Yeah, Danish things. I mean, yeah, they, they won a stage later. Court spent a bunch of time uh, in a solo breakaway. We had second, a lot of explanation. Yeah, second and third stages. Yeah, he second and first. Yeah. Yeah, to get second the polka dot jersey, wasn't it? Yeah, so that's the thing, is we had a big sprint tutorial in this episode, but we had absolutely no, I mean, we didn't ever see the breakaway. We saw the peloton a lot um, in stage two. We never saw the breakaway. So I I don't know. I I realised that maybe it's a little bit complicated to to try and explain. You know, why do these four guys want to go up the road? And then why why does that mean that the peloton gets a day off or whatever? I I think we'll get that when when there are like breakaway victories in the later episodes because I guess with a Fair time enough. trial and a sprint then it's that's two very easy ways to be like oh here's, here's who won and then you're like later on you know you'll have Chanel being like sometimes someone just rolls away up the road and they just win it I, I, I don't think the producers care how bike racing works and I don't think they care to explain how bike racing works to this audience i think that the only thing they really care about and we'll see whether this is borne out in in subsequent episodes but this is my gut after after episode one i think the the only thing they really care about is sort of human condition highs and lows and human on human controversy so you know so the battle between two individual riders or as in the case of, of episode one, where we have this sort of like real high for Jakobsen and Eve Lampert and real low for Bissiger. That's, I think that's all they're looking for is, is what happens to these individual athletes. And then they tell the context around it. And that, that part can be interesting, but I fundamentally, like, I don't know if they will, I don't know if we'll ever get in eight episodes, like anything on the polka dot Jersey, which is a big, massive, important thing in the Tour de France and, and riders spend their entire career trying to get this Jersey and win this Jersey. And I would wager that they just ignore it unless they decide that somebody in it has a compelling enough storyline to, to dedicate a piece of an episode to. I don't think the actual like underlying structure of the bike race is, is actually really all that relevant to what they're putting together. Which is why it's so frustrating for us, I think, in some ways. But if but if I'm a first-time watcher, like I was to the um, Drive to Survive, I mean, it's a little bit different because that is cars getting across the finish line. Um, but if I was a... And somebody mentioned on, on our Discord um, that they'd watched it with their wife who 
doesn't follow cycling. And they were so confused by the yellow jersey and why one minute um, uh, Lampert was on it in it and then next and then Van Aert's in it and then he's in the green jersey. And um, I think if we get an image of anybody in the polka dot jersey, that's when an, a newcomer, you know, you're not going to get through eight episodes, I don't think, if you don't understand what's going on, maybe, I, or at least the context of what's going on. I'm also trying to think back to if you think like thinking back to when you first like got into watching cycling, I guess you were more compelled by the characters and the stories rather than the rules. But I think it is important to have have that context. And there was an interview with the director of the series who said in everything like in every, he says in everything he makes, like all the movies and whatever, it's it's always about the characters and that the when they handed the show over to the editors to like actually chop it all together they were from non-cycling backgrounds, so they were treating it very much as like a traditional docu-series, I guess. And you yeah. have to make a decision. You can't have everyone who played a part in those first stages um, play a role. I mean, yeah. uh, Magnus Court is a character, from what I can understand, and he was in the polka dot jersey on his solo rampage on stage three in Denmark. But is his story as good as Jakobsen's comeback? No. Yeah, no, it's not. So you have to make that decision. So maybe we, in a different world, we would have got that story but you have to yeah like say editing i also wonder whether we're going to get a bit more a bit more of the actual racing kind of dynamic in future stages right it, like i don't know how you avoid it in the Rube cobble stage i don't know how you avoid it in the in the glandon galibier stage like how do you how do you avoid talking about the way that these things work in that stage i, I mean maybe they'll find a way but i i have to imagine that yeah once you get kind of past these initial these initial storylines, I bet we get a bit more. But again, I, I still, I still, I put money on, and, and I haven't watched the the whole series yet. I would put money on the polka dot jersey hardly making a a cameo, because last year in particular didn't have a great story associated with it. Yeah, they want to hook people before they explain things. Yeah. yeah. So I I disagree. I think maybe we will get some explanation of the jerseys, but I think for this first episode, they just need people to want to keep watching. And that's all, all they care about. And Jakobsen has a really compelling story. Oh man, his story is is actually amazing. When you've got you know a four minute, com- when you've compressed like two years into four minutes, and the crash, and then him coming back from the crash and explaining all of his injuries, and then him winning, it's actually wild. Because like we know, because we saw his comeback over a long period of time. We've also seen other riders who are as injured as Jakobsen not come back to their best. And if you think about like Froome compared to Jakobsen, it's, it's insane that he was able after all of that to come back and win a stage of the tour. And I've, I think like for that being the first episode and highlighting that it, it'll bring people, it, it'll pull people in. It'll make, make people want to root for Jakobsen. They'll want to see if he's racing the tour de France in 2023. They're going to follow his career after they've seen this comeback of his. And so I think from the view of somebody who doesn't know anything about what the polka dot Jersey is, this was the perfect first episode. Yeah. He also comes across really well on camera. Jakobsen. Yeah. He's he a doesn't good, seem he's, to he's be got a good personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a good speaker. I wonder and we could talk about this more when we get through more of these episodes, but I wonder who are the characters that come out of this that potentially see a, a pretty large personal bump in their own following, right? That that'll be that will be interesting to watch. Uh, I mean, even like like Bissiger, it, it, he's not a a name that floats across 
you know, my mind all that often <laughs> when it comes to professional bike racing. He's a very, very good rider, but you know, he, just, he, he doesn't he doesn't come up that much. But he's a bit of the star, even a kind of a tragic way of this first episode. You have to imagine that his Instagram is an interesting place to be today. Uh, you know, if you're just coming into the sport, you don't know that he's not Julian Alphilippe for all for all you know, right? Like, what, why why else would they be focusing on on this first episode? So I, I'll be interested to see sort of who the who the winners are at the end of at the end of eight of them. I feel like we should also mention that there are multiple teams that were approached that said no. Like, yep. Mess Peterson probably would have been a way more interesting character to introduce in this first episode with being Danish and a former world champion going for that first yellow jersey. Like, that's a story that I think I would rather see than Bissinger's. But they Trek said no. UAE said no. There were multiple teams that didn't like the way that the edit was going to maybe were worried about the edit or had no say in the edit. And so like UAE, they, they said he, uh, the, the executive producer said in that interview that Johnny mentioned that he, the UAE wanted to be treated a certain way and they weren't going to treat teams differently. So they didn't, they said they didn't want to include him in the, in the show or Tade Pogacar or UAE. And I think multiple teams had that fear. And so they're also like working with what they've got and they've got this great storyline with Bissinger that goes well with other storylines they want to tell. So yeah. It's going to be really interesting how they treat Pogacar. I think he's going to be this kind of like weird Darth Vader figure off in the yeah. edges, you know, like where he just doesn't say much. He's just kind of this weird bad guy because we've got Yumbo Visma. Exactly. Like they're, they're, they're in the Yumbo bus, right? And so they've got the other side of the story. And I mean, to be perfectly honest, it's it's a massive miss for UAE and Pogacar. Pogacar yeah. is a fantastic character. The fact that we're not going to get him in this is a, is a huge bummer. And it's a bummer for him. Like I genuinely think if I was him, I would be raging mad at my publicist and my team because this was an opportunity for him to break out of professional cycling and potentially make himself significantly more valuable than he is today. I'd be really pissed off at my team at that decision. And he'd ever, you would have every right to be. It's a shame that we're not going to get him though. We are going to get the other side. And I think it's going to be interesting how, yeah, how he's treated, how he's shown like, how is he characterized? What's the music that runs underneath him, right? Like all these things are, are going to be fun to watch over the next seven episodes because they have to they have to address him. <laughs> he's kind of like the second most imperson- important person in the entire. But he's the antagonist race. of the whole thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I but think ironically, I... like he's not an antagonist in real life. <laughs> that that's what makes it so interesting. I think overall, though, it could have been so much worse like we could have been sitting here trying to enjoy a show that we've been excited about for so long and not and like having to really force it like i, I like always i think always your expectations are going to be so high that it's going to be hard to match them but if you when you take a step back it was it was pretty good and it didn't do the thing that often like mainstream thing like places do when they cover cycling is just get things completely wrong like yep. it felt quite if a lot like a vast percentage of it felt quite true to how you remember the tour and what it was like. I, th- I think the cool kid hipster view of this series is, is going to be to dislike it, particularly from within the cycling world, right? Like yeah. uh, we were, we, we liked cycling before Netflix found it. <laughs> I think that that's probably going to be generally the, the sentiment that we see from a lot of our colleagues, but I, I genuinely enjoyed this first episode 
do I wish it was more tailored for me and the fact that I've been covering the sport for 12 years or whatever else. Yeah, it would, that would have been fun. Like more insight would have been great. We didn't get that much kind of behind the scenes stuff from this first episode. I wonder if we'll get more later. But I do. It was an entertaining. It was a good lead, right? It was a good way to grab an audience, I think, and hopefully retain them through seven more episodes. Let's cut this episode off here. Up next, episode two is the return to France and the cobbles of Perry Roubaix, which are, if you've never seen Perry Roubaix before, when I, I assume there's some folks out there who are brand new to all this stuff, really nasty, nasty roads <laughs> full of rocks, basically. And the, the stage in question, stage five of that Tour de France was absolutely chaotic. And I am looking forward to the episode. So we will be back as soon as we can record another episode, watch it and record another episode. Uh, as I mentioned in the trailer, you can either get this podcast on the Unchained Binge podcast channel, meaning you can search Unchained Binge on whatever podcast thing you use, or if you're already a subscriber to the Escape Collective podcast network, you can just get it there. But it will roll out a bit slower on the main Escape Collective channel. We're going to probably do two a week there. We will be posting these basically as soon as we finish them on the Unchained Binge channel. And with that, thanks, Abby. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Kit. People can't see you nod. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not used to being give, bid farewell at the end of this. <laughs> thanks, Johnny. Thanks. We didn't we didn't win the tour there, but I also don't think we lost it there. So Wait. we're good to go. <laughs> we'll see y'all with episode two. Bye-bye. Kaylee Fretz from Escape Collective here. If you've landed on this podcast because you just watched Unchained on Netflix and you want to dive headfirst into the Tour de France and pro bike racing, I have some great news for you. The crew behind this podcast cover pro cycling in depth 365 days a year over at escapecollective.com. We're member funded, meaning listeners and readers support what we do. So if you love this pod, head over to escapecollective.com slash join to sign up. Get all kinds of extra stuff. You get past the paywall. You get the best bike content anywhere. Thanks.